happening now. We'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room, episode 276 for Thursday, December the 15th, 2022. And yes, folks, we are rescheduled from our normal Wednesday time. My name is Wes Fryer, coming to you from my aspirational cabin in Matthews, North Carolina, where I am a media literacy and computer science teacher at Providence Day School in Charlotte. Joining me as always with the mountains of Montana behind and a warm watch cap on because I bet it is a little cooler up in Missoula, Montana than it is here. It's Dr. Jason Neifer. How are you, Dr. Neifer? Good evening, Dr. Fryer. I'm well. And uh, yeah, um, not only has it been cold here, um, I think I may have mentioned this in a previous episode, but uh, Missoula, third warmest October, third coldest November, and December hasn't been a whole lot warmer. And next week, there's going to be some pretty serious weather rolling in. Missoula won't be too bad. We're only going to be at negative 15, but Great Falls, Montana, which is where my parents are at and where I grew up, is going to be at negative 35. So that's that's real cold weather. Um, and in fact, I think that day, if I remember correctly, as I was talking to my mom about this last night, um, uh, the high will be negative 10. So they will get, you know, that aspirational super high temperature. But yeah, super serious weather going on in, in Montana right now. Holy cow. That is just crazy. Well, thank you for accommodating uh, schedules. And I... I'm glad that we're able to to get in this week. We um, have had really probably the most uh, disjointed and unpredictable schedule here of late, <clears throat> but for some good reasons. And we're just uh, we're glad to be here. So I will be getting getting caught up on episodes. I realized <clears throat> this week that we're still a, a little behind, but I actually re-listened to all of our what November early early November November eighth or tenth or something like that episode. Um, and that's got me using the ARC browser, which we had talked about at that time. So, so far, so good. What are we to do tonight, Dr. Neifer? Well, I believe that the order uh, of events is that we're going to spend some time tonight looking through news. And to be frank, there's a lot going on right now um, in the world of um, uh, technology. And I think there's a lot of implications for education. One of the things that I would say is that I think a lot of big things are, are I think there's a lot of big discussions yet yet to come. I feel like that perhaps that not necessarily from a disease standpoint, um, but certainly from a cultural standpoint, we're in kind of a post-pandemic era right now. I think it's inspiring a lot of interesting discussions um, that uh, I think could uh, largely impact, you know, where education's going. And, you know, just as a reminder, we have a pretty serious amount of um, uh, 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 students that, that, that are recovering from the pandemic, but also, you know, education suffering right now. I've lost a lot of teachers in the last three years. Uh, there's a lot of question about the broad direction education is going. And I think there's something we need to, um, you know, be thinking about as we evaluate technology and its role in the future. So tonight we have a lot of articles. As always, you can get those links at edtechedsart.com slash links. But we will start off with our holiday gift giving guide uh, for 2023, uh, a regular feature where we like to share what we like to um, uh, uh, kind of talk about uh, quick stocking stuffers. You can provide your your, your family and friends um, or not so stocking stuffers, as the case may be. Um, we have some AI news and we may continue some of our discussions from last week. Uh, app news, social media, some journalism and polarization updates, uh, you know, update on polarization some Google news, uh, space news, security news, Apple news, and then, of course, we'll end uh, with our Geeks of the Week. So, Dr. Fryer, um, is there anything in particular that you're looking to talk about tonight first, or shall we start off with our holiday gift guide? Yeah, absolutely. Let's start holiday time. So what do you got for us? Well, I want to start with a notion that I think I've talked about each year we've done this, but I think this is pretty important. If you're buying for nerds in your life, don't assume that you know what they want specifically. And the reason why I mention that is because, um, you know, it's a very interesting world we live in. If someone tells you that they want an iPad, that can mean everything from the low-end $300 iPad all the way up to the $2,000 super high-end iPad Pro 12.9-inch. And the bottom line is is that, um, you know, uh, it's always generous and wonderful to give gifts but if you're looking to truly delight or meet the, the dreams or desires of those that you're giving gifts to, it's okay to ask information about that. And in fact, I think I've been most satisfied myself 
uh, with with holiday time and even birthday gifts when I provide a list to my my uh, friends and family uh, to ultimately purchase from. But um, I have three quick things I want to share, and then Dr. Fry, I know you've got some things you want to share as well that I think um, you know are are worthy of gift giving. Um, the first one is that I uh, think that a USB battery pack is a wonderful gift that really is the gift that keeps on giving. And these items are down to a relatively paltry amount. It used to be um, uh, seven, eight, nine years ago, you could buy big battery packs, but they cost a lot of money to get them. and They didn't have that much capability. Well, now you can buy truly large battery packs with lots of juice in them. Um, for relatively inexpensive amounts, um, and uh, uh, not only do they have a lot of juice in them, um, they're, they're relatively small in comparison to the past. So um, I'm sharing first the uh, wire cutter's best battery pack uh, option, which is actually out of stock right now, um, but it's a ZMI USB uh, PD-style back, back up battery and hub um, which I think is a, a truly wonderful uh, uh, option here. And it's, it's like my favorite one, which they don't make anymore. But this is a battery pack that has 20,000 milliamp hours, which would uh, fully charge uh, even one of the larger battery iPads. It would charge your iPhone at least two times, if not three. And there are some Android phones that this thing would charge five or six times over. But what I love about this is that it's USB-C, but it also has USB, traditional USB ports on it. So you can charge it up with a fast USB-C charger and then just throw this in your backpack. And I um, uh, have a, well, I mean, I have a variety of, 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 of uh, charging opportunities that, that go along with me, but I do have a big tech bag that, uh, especially when I'm traveling or I'm going home for two weeks to visit my parents or I... Um, spending a day in a coffee shop, my tech bag comes with me and there's a lot of equipment in my tech bag and I have a big 20,000 milliamp hour USB-C battery that goes with me in that bag and um, it's big enough to charge most USB-C laptops. Uh, it's fast enough to do that. It can usually charge a phone or two plus your iPad. In this case, you can have three things going on at once. Um, I do. It also shows you can use it as like a hub. Yes, yeah, that's true. In fact, because you, you the the, uh, the they're wired through the USB the USB ports are wired through on there, so you can plug in, um, for example, like a mouse dongle or um, a phone, for that matter, uh, for both charging and then data purposes. So now, Amazon cool. is act Amazon's actually saying that one is is not available. Does yeah, because... yeah, it sold out a couple of days ago, oh, okay. um, but I think it might be back soon. So, and again, this is wire cutters recommended one. I would say if you're going to buy a battery pack, though, read the reviews um, that, 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 that you're not aware of. Read the reviews. Make sure that, you know, uh, read the comments to make sure that you're not picking up something that could potentially damage a phone. And there's lots of crappy charging implements around on um, uh, uh, sites like Amazon. But if you just read the reviews and are careful about it, utilizing brands you've heard of before, it's a pretty good piece. One other, and I was going to bring it with me, and, of course, I forgot, probably my favorite thing that I purchased in 2022, and as I'm sure no one is surprised, I purchased a lot of doodads in 2022, but when I updated to the new iPhone 13 in 2021, uh, this came with the magnetic charging or MagSafe back on the phone, and uh, one of the things a lot of people don't know is that there's MagSafe, but then you could add a case to, to, to your phone that actually increases the power of that battery. Um, I'm sorry, the, the power of that magnet. So things stick to it a little bit better. So uh, this is, uh, in fact, I even bought this used because I knew it would get scratched up pretty quickly. But I did buy a, a MagSafe compatible um, a clear case for my iPhone 13. And Anchor makes two really wonderful batteries. One of them is called the Anchor 622. And I believe the other one is the 633 uh, that's correct, that it's got double the power in it. But these are batteries that cost anywhere from right, actually it looks like there's one on sale right now for $44 if you want the black color. But if you buy, you can buy one that's the same color as your phone. It's a shame that I forgot to bring this upstairs. But it literally sticks on the back of it, and it has 5,000 milliamp hours of juice in it, which is enough to charge up your phone uh, back to uh, 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 full power if you're in the, the 10, 20, 30% range. And what I love about it is that it's super portable. It just snaps to the back of my phone, 
but it also serves as a stand for your phone. So uh, uh, it, a little uh, uh, thing pops out of the back that you can fold up, and then you can either put the phone horizontally or vertically, and it, it has a little stand that's built into it. And I love this. I think it's a really great piece. And as I started traveling in 2022, um, I will admit that my travel game uh, lost a little bit during the pandemic uh, because I wasn't traveling as much. I usually have a very well manicured and um, uh, uh, curated bag that I carry with me on trips. And a lot of that is built around technology. This Anchor 622 battery has been a gift I've given a couple of times this year. And I myself use it because it means it doesn't really matter how much I chew through my battery on a trip. And my battery life is going down on this phone because I'm about a year into it now and the battery health is going down. I don't worry about that because I can get to 10 or 20% even halfway through my trip and pop the battery onto the back. It sticks there, it's easy in my pocket. And it doubles as a stand. So I absolutely love the Anchor 622. Um, I will tell you there are other knockoff versions of this, and I own a couple of them. One of the knockoffs I like a lot, but it, they don't sell it anymore, which is a, kind of a sign that it was a knockoff. Um, and there are some other off-brand ones. Um, two of the off-brand ones I've used I actually returned right away because it was clear that there wasn't much juice in it, and it just it was a little... Um, uh, it was a little hinky, the, the build of, 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 of the design. So that's my second recommended one. If you know someone with an iPhone 12, 13, or 14, and um, uh, they're, they're prone to run out of battery. And then I still think one of the best, like, larger gifts, you're looking for something a little more um, a spendy. I, I, I bought my wife a pair of AirPods Pros for her birthday about a week before the pandemic started. Pandemic helped that gift be a little more, a little more valuable to her, but I've received them as a gift. And I know a lot of people that have gifted, um, uh, AirPod Pros to, to people. But if you're looking for, you know, maybe a little nicer of a gift and you have the financial wherewithal to do so and someone wouldn't be a candidate for buying, uh, you know, AirPod, Pros, uh, that's just not where they would be at. Um, they're on sale right now for $229 on Amazon, and it's really a great gift for the Apple aficionado in your life. And one of the things I can tell you for absolute sure that, uh, especially if someone's in the Apple ecosystem, these devices just work really well together. And what's cool about the AirPod Pros is that, and this is true of the regular AirPod uh, as well, is that they automatically although you can tweak it to not necessarily do it uh, without you wanting to do it, but they will move from device to device seamlessly. So if I'm listening to um, a, a podcast on my phone and I decide that I want to start watching a video on YouTube on my iPad, um, I, it just moves over with me. And it's really, really, really pretty quite great and, um, uh, and, and, and pretty magical. So that's also on my stocking stuffer list as well. That is awesome. <clears throat> All right. Well, I've got I've got four. Uh, three are mine are geeky, and then one of them is uh, is tasty. Uh, so, um, have I have I talked ham radio much? I don't think I really have. Have I? A, a tiny, tiny bit. Yeah. Well, um, there's a um, a thing called a Baofeng, and the Baofeng is a twenty dollar made in China ham radio that's just incredible. Uh, now, you have to have a license in order to broadcast with it, but you can receive like National Weather Service um, and you don't need a license in order to receive. <clears throat> but uh, I actually gave this to our son for his birthday uh, with a challenge that he uh, go ahead and get his ham radio license. So anyway, not everybody in your family is going to get excited about this, but I think it's pretty cool. Uh, definitely a geeky thing. And um you know, emergency preparedness. It, it's, it's a good thing. So the next one is my favorite, um, internet of things, home light bulb. It is the ways, uh, it says bulb color, color bulb. I don't know why I don't say color bulb. I'm pretty fascinated by the Waze company. I bought a number of their products. I've got one of their uh, strip lights. Actually, I still need to mount that outside. Um, <clears throat> but these bulbs are awesome. And using a lot of plugs, I think I have like 44 different like things on our network right now. I need to make a video. Uh, I've got a lot of plugs, <clears throat> both inside and outside, weather protected and, you know, outside that are, and then also inside. But these are so cool because you can change the color to whatever you want and you can turn the intent, change the intensity, which you can't just do with an on off, you know, switch. Um, so these are on sale right now, uh, basically nine for two for, for 18 bucks. And I think they're, they're really awesome. And having done some research ways, 
uh, founded by some folks that were with Amazon. And I guess somehow they're, it seems like they're figuring out how to really leverage still the Chinese um, supply chain and keep their prices pretty awesome. But I have not had, um, you know, I haven't had any weird issues like I have with firmware with some switches and things like that that I think I may have talked about before. So continuing the ways, um, kind of like Anchor. Hey, everything Anchor, everything Waze. Uh, this is on my wish list to buy my wife, and we haven't got it yet. It's actually sold out right now. It's the Waze robot vacuum. I was just at Costco today, and the latest iRobot, I think, is 600 bucks there. It's normally 700 and it's off $100. Um, do you have a, a robot vacuum at your house, Jason? Have you tried one of these? We've not. Okay. not yet. Yeah. So the house that we're in now in North Carolina uh, would lend itself more. We had like the old sort of 70s sunken floor, you know, sunken living room, <laughs> whatever. Um, so anyway, depending on the layout of your house or what your situation is, it may or may not make sense. But it's uh, pretty phenomenal. And now that I'm teaching robotics as well, I'm, you know, I'm just more fascinated with with the trajectory of robotics and the improvements and things like that. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we've got two golden retrievers at home that uh, tend to leave some of their hair around. So I don't know how it would hold up, but maybe I'll give you a report later. And if any of you have any opinions about robotic vacuums, particularly ones that will deal with a lot of dog hair, uh, I would be uh, welcome or I would love to to hear that because we're we're always dealing with that with vacuum cleaners. And finally, this one is awesome. This is called Bear Food. And this is a local Charlotte, North Carolina company. It's actually in Matthews, uh, which is which is the, the suburb where we live. And there was a college student that was an athlete and had a, an unexpected injury that caused him to not have a scholarship anymore and had to come up with a way to pay for college. And so he founded this company, Bear Food. This is amazing. It's super tasty. Uh, and we've tried some of their different things, and this is the one that we like the most, which is just their mix. So that has nothing to do with technology, but geeks like food too. And if you're looking for something unusual, there you go. You can order some some Bear Food gourmet bear mix for delivery. Love it. Um, I, yeah, do report on how the robotic vacuum deals with dog hair because we've got a little of that going at our house with Big Lou, too. All right. Well, what would you like to jump into tonight? Well, I, I'm going to try to avoid rabbit holes right away. Um, um, I, let's talk about social media for a little while because I, so I have a question to ask, and I... I mentioned this a little bit last week, but TikTok, obviously, you know, everyone's panicked about it. And in fact, I think a bill just passed the Senate um, uh, in the last few hours where uh, they're going to ban TikTok from all government owned devices, which uh, is, is an easy thing to, to, to pass. Passing or banning the app entirely in the United States, um, uh, uh, I think would be a lot more difficult. But I still don't feel like we're getting the full story about why this app is so troubling from a national security standpoint. And it's not that I don't believe that it is. Um, it's just that I haven't really seen the true evidence of that uh, yet. And I feel like that if the United States really wants to, um, you know, try to try to make some, some difference here and, and get that uh, uh, kind of pulled away from things, um, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, to, <laughs> the ISIS wants us to be on board with that, and then I, I think that they owe us a little more information here. And I can think of all sorts of national security reasons why you wouldn't want to share that with the general public. But there is all sorts of hand-wringing going on right now. Uh, Maryland has, has banned uh, TikTok from government devices. Texas has uh, a banned TikTok from state-owned phones and computers, citing cybersecurity reasons. Um, uh, and, uh, again, today, um, uh, that there's, uh, there's the United States Senate in that piece. So I don't, I, I, I'm not sure if I have anything additionally to say here other than to say, I kind of like to have some more information about this. And, and I think the public too, it'd be useful if they talked about even the kinds of risks that could be available here. And yes, the Chinese, or I'm sorry, that the data is on Chinese servers. That's certainly something to, to be thoughtful of, but it's an awful lot of data, of your data in the world that's not stored on United States servers, uh, and maybe even servers in countries that are not uh, 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 very friendly with, with the U.S. So any thoughts there, Dr. Fryer, about TikTok and the national security threat? 
the fact that we have government uh, officials who are not, for instance, <laughs> elected senators, because, um, yeah, your, your article there is Marco Rubio pushes TikTok ban in Congress from The Verge. Uh, I, I have the same article, basically, I think, from M- MSNBC lawmakers unveiled bipartisan bill that aims to, to ban TikTok in the U.S. These kind of things, just like when, when President Trump was in office, I, you know, I'm, when, it, when a politician is pushing it, you're particularly one that <clears throat> will, you know, say some incendiary things and, you know, you're just you're just not sure uh, whether it's a political motivation or technology motivation. But I mean, we've had um, I think we've used these articles on the show, the chair of the FCC, who still is, you know, still involved in politics. I don't know. There's been and then, you know, the military has taken has taken steps, I think, to your to your point of like, why? What what is the point? Uh, I think that I think this has to do with um, just the whole the danger of the surveillance uh, the, the the attention economy, the surveillance capitalism model that we have, and the fact that, I mean, uh, I don't have a link to this, but uh, I use what was it, Lenza AI, right? After the show last week, you told me about that, and I did that. Ben Honeycutt, that's Kevin Honeycutt's son, uh, who's a teacher in Colorado, I think maybe Colorado Springs. He posted on Facebook, hey, watch out for the terms of service because there's an incredibly uh, expansive forever. We get to keep these pictures and do whatever we want to with the selfies that you upload. But in that discussion, I think that was a thread on Facebook. Someone was also pointing out, and I'm sad to say, I have not read the terms of service for TikTok. But I think TikTok, they were saying that you're giving something like permission to scan your network and have access to devices on your local network and this a lot of things that are like beyond, you know, you might think, oh, they can have my information and, and share it or, or whatever. <clears throat> but uh, I think this gets to the heart of, you know, <clears throat> what what are the dangers when we have companies that have so much extensive information? And when you look at this at the size and scale of TikTok, the fact, as we've said on the show, it's the number one news source right now for um, Generation Z. I think that you know, leaders, uh, and, and these include not just politicians, but, you know, other elected officials that may be less political, they've recognized the incredible power that the platform has um, to shape public perception and uh, to spread disinformation and to to nudge people. I mean, this is The Social Dilemma, which is the Netflix documentary from a couple years ago. So I think the fact that the... The Cold War, so to speak, between the United States and China um, has heated up. We're not hearing a ton about that in the media, but and I don't even know if we've included the the link, but it was a few weeks ago that the U.S. government blocked this whole class of chips uh, to to stop them from being able to be purchased, you know, by China. And evidently, that's really the only the thing that's trying to do is to slow them down with artificial intelligence. ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok, is not a social media company. They are an AI company. So I think this has a hundred percent to do with the, the the fight for the future with artificial intelligence and the ways that the federal government doesn't want China to be ahead. And I think because of China's um you know authoritarian nature and the fact that they don't need to to have the same kind of transparency and and they don't have accountability to the people and organizations and I know we're far from you know a perfect situation with all that and Europe is is ahead of us with privacy law and et cetera et cetera still I think that this is this is a hundred percent about u s Chinese competition there are things that um, can't be disclosed because they're they're classified. But I, I think it's more than politics. And so I haven't seen who's going to get on board with these proposals. And so maybe these are grandstanding proposals uh, that we're, that we're you know, linking tonight as far as the, the Marco Rubio um, article. But that's, that's my take. I think it really has to do with U.S.-China competition for AI and, and that this is the battlefield right now. I mean, we have a literal battlefield happening with Russia and, and Ukraine, which is very consequential and important, but we also have this very real battlefield that is continuing to unfold 
with respect to artificial intelligence. And I still, I didn't, I think now that the holidays have come for me, uh, at my last, last duty day at school, um, I think I'm going to do a little, uh, probably video, maybe even a blog post series about AI, because some of the things that I've been able to do with the generative AI tools that we've talked about in just the last couple of weeks have absolutely made the hair stand up on my, my arms and be like, Oh my gosh, I, I don't, I can't, I, I can't believe that I, this kind of capability is at my fingertips. And, yeah. and where does this go next? Cause it's really different than, oh, oh, oh Microsoft had a chatbot that turned into a troll in 24 hours. Oh, 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 you know, isn't that, that's too bad. That's, you know, that, those kinds of, this isn't that. This, this is, this is really, really capable AI that, that feels very different. And I think we're only seeing the a tiny fraction of the the whole story. Yeah, that's exactly what I feel too. And in fact, I mean, and I I've been starting to send out emails to colleagues uh, with some demos I've done uh, with with AI tools recently. The one thing we didn't talk about last week that uh, I have noticed in the last seven days, but there is now an AI tool built into the non-education versions of Canva and. Um, I started experimenting with that earlier this week, and it's absolutely blowing my mind. Um, it, it is so functional, and it's not available in the education version yet, although I think that's kind of a blessing for right now, because to be honest, I think this AI stuff is, is, is going to uh, become omnipresent in our lives very quickly, and I think it's going to be an education thing in January 2023, right? Um, and I have been talking with teachers about it. I've been sending uh, information out to others about this, but I, I don't think we're prepared for it to start with. But more importantly, I think it's, it's, it's evolving so quickly that, you know, this is not a 2025 issue or 2030 issue. This is a January 2023 issue uh, that I think we need to be very, very acutely aware of. So let's, let's, I don't want to leave all social media, but let's go up real quickly to our AI category. Um, I think I dropped this in last time, but I have been compiling a wakelet of AI resources and AI creativity. And I actually emailed my principal um, this week and just offered, and hey, when we come back from school, if you'd like, I think it'd be really helpful to talk about this at a faculty meeting for at least 15 or 20 minutes and let people take a look at these tools. Because at a bare minimum, if you're giving an essay assignment, um, you know, after the break, you can almost be guaranteed that if you're going to, if you have a class, some, somebody in your class is going to know about these tools yeah. and they're not hard to have access to. You don't have to like wait weeks and weeks. And, um, is the Canva tool a generative AI image tool or is it oh, text? No, or? it's, it's text actually. And okay. So, and it's called, they call it magic, right? And I did do an experiment uh, today to, to, that I turned, uh, into a brief video, and my point was was that I wanted to to have something I could share with others just to give them a sense of what I was talking about. So here here was my experiment. I went to Teachers Pay Teachers, I logged in, and I found a worksheet that the first worksheet I I could find that was free that I felt like um, you know had the kind of questions that uh, I was interested in, in in seeing answers to, and then I went to Canva. Um, and Canva's interface keeps getting just really um, uh, that much better. Uh, and now they've, they've introduced a lot of, I guess the way I would, would state this is um, uh, kind of advanced keyboard shortcuts, which means it's, it's really quick to, to, to do things like formatting and, and, and inserting things into the to images. But in their new doc section, you can use a keyboard shortcut and with one click get magic right up. And so I copy and pasted questions from the worksheet to uh, Magic Write in Canva. And these were not uh, factually based questions. They were, you know, constructed responses. So you had to make an, an argument in addition to pointing out some things that'd be more factual. And uh, five for five, uh, the Canva AI, which is in beta, has only been around for, you know, a couple weeks. I absolutely nailed every one of those questions. It was things like it was about kind of uh, some uh, study of history topics. Why do you? Why should you study history? What are three examples of primary sources? What are three examples of secondary sources? Um, and uh, things that I absolutely believe would be part of a decent lesson 
in broader histography for uh, for middle school and high school students. And this thing just ate through those uh, very quickly. And you can also ask it to do things like write a five paragraph essay on the causes of the War of 1812. And every time I've done that, uh, um, it was it, it was pretty darn functional. And you can then iterate also to make it refine and 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 do better. Um, the articles in that wakelet that I shared, um, some of those we talked about in in the show last week. Um, I, I think we're entering this era of of augmented capabilities. So we are already augmented by AI. Jason and I are sharing yeah. articles tonight that we found a variety of different ways. In some cases, we are connected via now Mastodon, as well as Twitter and Facebook with people who are sharing things. But algorithms like YouTube and still Twitter um, and other things are, you know, they're, they're sharing um, articles that and videos and content that we will predictably be interested in because of things that we've been interested in before. And so machine learning has cure, you know, has played a, a part in, in curating that, but the way in which we are visibly, and this is Jason, I think you said you're, you're going to get to do a closing keynote at NCC. I do. Yeah, that's, that's okay. So here's my number one suggestion. I think that you should do some live demos. I think you should have some recorded videos so that you can play them so that yeah. if something goes wonky or whatever, but to be able to do a live on stage video, it's like a magic trick. And it makes me think, Back in like 2000, uh, when was it? When I first came to Oklahoma, it was like 2006. I did a session that was really well attended called Digital Magic Tricks. And it really wasn't magic tricks. But we all, I mean, a lot of people who are tech geeks, we, we like this kind of thing. And sometimes it is to get a ooh, ah, but also, oh my gosh, wow, you can do that. That's amazing. And I think that these AI tools lend themselves to that. But then it's also this deeper conversation, right, about assessment. So if I'm going to give an essay to students now, and it's really a lot more difficult today than it was two weeks ago to come up with an assignment that can't be, you know, put into the uh, the generative AI tool and, and, and have a pretty amazing maybe master's level, um, in some cases cited, article or, you know, that, that, that gets spit out. Um, how am I going to assess my students learning? How am I going to make their thinking visible? How am I going to, you know, try to gauge what they have learned as a result of our class, our time together, the content that we've been discussing together and exploring together, et cetera. So, uh, this is pretty big. Um, you want to talk about the, the Vox? You've got a couple articles, I guess there that you had a do not pay. And then the verge is, Vox or the, the Vox article. Hold on one second. I just had a brilliant riff off your keynote idea that I just texted myself. So I don't forget <laughs> it for later. So um, remind me to tell you after. Um, uh, yes. Uh, this was done on social media. This is no. AI again. It's oh, about. Yeah, okay. So the reason why I like this article is it acknowledges something that I, I think is um, uh, part of this is that, um, we've been hearing a lot about AI for a long time now, right? And there have been lots of examples of it. And you mentioned the chat bot, bot Wes, from Microsoft. Uh, I believe that, that she was called Tay. And within 24 hours, you know, Tay went from being an interesting, funny Twitter bot to uh, a, a, a troll that was spewing a sexist and racist rhetoric. A digital, uh, a digital demon, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. The, you know, ho Holocaust denial and all. It was a really uh, terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And um, I think that stopped a lot of us in our tracks because um, uh, the bottom line is is that uh, that made it seem like it was farther away, right? That you know, you you would never be mistaken by that. And what this uh, article talks about is something that I truly believe is that 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 suddenly it's become a lot better. It's like we've gone over some kind of hump in the last six months or a year. And now that that's the case, this is this is more real than any threat like this has ever been. And I'm going to use the word threat there, uh, even though I'm not sure if it's necessarily a, a threat in the way that that word seems to suggest. The bottom line is we're in a very strange situation right now. And I think we need to be really thoughtful about how we respond to this to, uh, at school or, or in schools. And um, I am very um, 
concerned about this, but not just because of the threat I think it brings to a lot of ways we learn in classrooms, but I also want to make sure we don't overreact to it as well, because uh, I think AI will be an increasingly important part of a lot of industries uh, in the relative or near future, but certainly by the time our students get into the workforce. Um, and I want to both make sure we're putting protections in place for AI. I also want to make sure that we're inserting it appropriately when it can really help us be uh, uh, better at our jobs or better at the things we desire to do. I've told the story before, I think, have I, and I about my dad and the, um, oh, what, what do we have before calculators? Um, slide rules. Have I told you that story before? I don't think you have. He was on the Air Force Academy's uh, math committee, 72 or something like that, where they looked at calculators versus slide rules and what should they do? And they studied it and they studied it slide rule, you know, they just kept the slide rule, kept the calculators out. And then obviously in a few years, you know, maybe the next year the calculator came in. Um, but this is something that's challenging us at a deeper level than just, you know, I can, I can, I can do a, a manual, I can do a, so what would be a manual calculation a lot faster, you know, with a digital device. It's, it's a qualitative change and I don't have all of the words for that, but I, I agree with you that just as like the pandemic taught us all kinds of things. And, and I certainly wouldn't want and sort of lament when I've heard some colleagues say, oh, I'm so glad to be done with that. And just to go back to the way it was and, and, you know, and throw away all that, that tech and all that stuff that we used to, for instance, with seesaw, <laughs> we've had some teachers say that kind of thing. I'm like, no, don't give it up because there's so many good things and transformative things that we can do with that technology. Um, that's this moment as well, but it's a jarring moment. I think yeah. that it, it's a big deal. I don't think that this, I, you know, Hey, I've been guilty of, uh, overhyping tech at times and being Pollyanning ish and like all Mr. Techno optimist and all this. Uh, yeah, guilty as charged, <clears throat> but I, this feels different and this looks different. And, you know, some of these articles we've talked about, like the, the essay is dead, you know, college English is over, you know, it's, we, we're, we're just going to have to, it's a good opportunity actually to, to rethink assessment because even AI aside, it's a great thing to, to rethink the ways that we assess students and, and how, you know, valid and, and beneficial and, um, also differentiated that is, and there's a lot of aspects to that. So good stuff. Yep. Totally. Uh, good stuff. And then a lot of thoughtful stuff. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, where do we go next? Well, you want to, this do not pay. Uh, this was a Verge article that says do not pay is launching an AI chat bot that can negotiate your bills. Isn't that kind oh, of like yeah. trim? Trim was a, uh, yeah, like it was one that I've recommended in the past. Yeah, yeah. I thought this was super interesting from the standpoint of, I think this is, I mean, this is what we want to be careful about, right? Like, I, uh, there was a lot of concerning uh, media in the last 10 days over these chatbots and these new chat tools and, um, uh, the automators, uh, for art. But this is an interesting thing because this gives power to someone. Um, uh, to do something that they don't have the power to do themselves or would have no idea how to do, or maybe even has social anxiety to a point they couldn't do this. But it is really interesting that, 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 you know, via a chat bot, um, do not pay as utilizing that technology. And it's a lot like Trim, the tool I've recommended here in the past, of which has negotiated down my cable every, uh, cable uh, internet bill every year for the last three years. I think this is a really uh, interesting way to go about, um, uh, to go about that process. I don't have this article right now, and if I can find it, I will. But there was an article I read in the last week, this is AI related to, that was saying these generative AI tools are so horrifically capable, like in terms of, of, uh, of putting you in, in a terrible situation, um, sort of like with Photoshop, but really easy for somebody to do that. Every single person who's ever shared a photograph of themselves on social media should delete it immediately. I think this was in wired. I'm not going to do that, uh, at this point, but that's a pretty strong statement for a yeah. tech journalist to make. And so, um, I think that we're going to be getting headlines and seeing, unfortunately, um, the weaponization of these tools, the abuse of these tools, the use of these tools by bad actors. Unfortunately, sometimes people's overall perception of things is shaped by those those kinds of negative uh, examples. So this article uh, about Negotiate For Me reminds me of when, I don't know, was it Steve Jobs or was it Tim Cook that introduced uh, Siri 
and the capability this whole, this whole idea of a virtual assistant being able to make phone calls, right? Because it could yeah. like call for you and make a reservation, yep. but then what else could it do? And it sounds like this do not pay is kind of going that way because it's sort of like you say, yes, you can negotiate on my behalf. And then literally a robot is going wow. to, you know, be pretending like they're a human talking to somebody else and then doing lawyerish things on your behalf. It more and more it feels like we're living in in uh, not Ready Player One, but you know we're just we're living in. Uh, hopefully, it's not dystopian, but it's a sci-fi yeah. novel for sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, some of the uh, some of the discussion I've seen this week too about uh, the possibilities of these magic writers is that you know imagine for a moment you don't really need um, an attorney to draft documents uh, if a if a, a, a a generator will do that for you by, you know, asking you a few questions and generating the document. And there's actually a business around that right now. It's called LegalZoom. LegalZoom is all about helping you uh, 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 do some of your own low-level legal work, uh, things like uh, uh, copyright or trademark or living will or uh, kind of low stakes um, uh, uh, wills are a part of that process. But, you know, AI takes that a lot further and could potentially you know, put a lot of power uh, in your hands in regards to filing legal documents and, and motions and lawsuits and that sort of thing. But, yeah, I... Again, I just thought we were a, a long way away from this, and I, we just aren't anymore. And I referenced this in that early November uh, podcast episode or whatever web show that I just put online this week. Um, there are folks at, at OpenAI, and I got to hear uh, one of their representatives talk about a month ago, um, that are that are expecting like a 50% displacement in the job force because of AI. Um, within five to 10 years, that just sounds absolutely crazy. But when these tools are broadly available and when corporations and business interests that are really focused on maximizing the bottom line, see that the function, and we're not just talking about low level labor here. We're talking about mid and, and we're talking about, it's not just, this isn't just blue collar workers. In fact, in some cases, if you're a blue collar worker, you, you might have a safer job, you know, than, than a white collar worker. We're talking about a lot of white collar jobs and the potential in, you know, in, in banking, accounting, uh, lawyering, <laughs> uh, finance, all kinds of things. So, um, these are some jarring changes that, again, this is why it's fun to get together, Jason, never, you know, usually once a week, not always, but, you know, talk about these things because it, this is a lot to wrap our heads around. And uh, I think yeah. you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I feel like I've been beating the drum of AI for the last three years with my students. And then suddenly in the last month, it's like I touched an electric fence and what it's live. It's real. It's here. Yeah. And and that is it actually that is how it feels a little bit. It does feel like an alien intelligence. It's here. Yeah. It's it's in the building. It's able to follow my commands. And now it can go negotiate your bills. And what's it gonna do next? You know? Whew. Wild. Yeah, totally. Okay. Uh let's see. Do you want to do any more of those social media? Because a lot of that was TikTok. Um Yeah, I think the TikTok stuff um uh, uh, was the thing that I really wanted to talk what, about. What about the, we don't need another Twitter. Do you want to do that one real quick? And we can, talk yeah, I, I can remember what uh, they were talking about, but, um, uh, <laughs> well, and, and actually I would say that, that, uh, I feel this a little, uh, broadly, but this is from, um, uh, Sarah Morrison, uh, at Vox on, uh, December 7th. Uh, and, uh, basically it's, it's, it's kind of a, a warning that, uh, she argues that Twitter, um, um, uh, didn't really live up to the promise it could have been. And I remember hearing this all along Twitter's journey, right? Even though I was generally satisfied with Twitter, um, uh, there's always a, a good argument about why it doesn't meet certain needs or couldn't be as big as it could be. And remembering that Twitter is actually one of the smaller American social networks from, from the sheer number of participants. But the bottom line is, is that a lot of people believe it just didn't meet its promise. And what, what uh, Sarah's arguing is that the current crop of replacements and, uh, she mentions, uh, 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 both broadly and generally, um, 
aren't, aren't going to be able to do it either. It specifically calls out um, uh, possibilities like Mastodon as, as, as it could be, but probably not. And, you know, we should, we should be looking to design these better from the ground up as opposed to just adopt the other feature sets and then hope that it works out. Huh. It's interesting. I mean, uh, since that, that show a month ago, I've been using Mastodon a lot more. Um, and for me, as somebody who is an early adopter of technology, I really, really like the the feel, the interaction, the idea exchange that I'm that I'm having on Mastodon. At this point, I'm basically cross posting things both in Twitter and, and Mastodon. She says in here, Twitter will probably endure in some form, and I kind of agree with it. But things are so ugly with Musk and the the things that he's done the way he's revealed himself to just to really be a troll and kind of an ugly person. You know, my Twitter, my Twitter blue expired uh, this week and I'm not renewing it. I liked that capability to see the articles that friends of friends are sharing, but I don't, um, I don't know. I, um, we, anyway, I don't need to rehash what we've talked about on the show before. The, yeah, the Twitter sure. that we experience is kind of different than than the the Twitter um, that we talk about in in, in popular culture. But it, it's a different conversation. Like I've never wanted to just participate in the Twitter of celebrities and popular media and and pop culture. The thing that Twitter is so transformative for is the fact that there's so many journalists on it and authors on it, and yeah. that you can actually interact with authors and you know, then if you want to connect with them and if they share, then you, you know, you're connected to their ideas and, and things like that. But I think it's too early days to say, oh yeah, Macedon is, is dead. I don't know. I think it's a gift that, and I mentioned this before, that <clears throat> Musk has kind of given us a real big push, a lot of us, to move out of Twitter and explore Macedon um, a little bit more. So I don't know. It's, I didn't, I didn't title that show. What was it? You know, the forecast is fractured and polluted. But anyway, it's, uh, we're, I think many of us are continuing to experiment and it's not like we've suddenly reached Nirvana and said, ah, yes, I'm not touching Twitter again because Mastodon gives me everything that I need. We're, we're not in that place. Um, but it's, it's very dynamic. So anyway, I don't know what else I can say truthfully on that. We should probably go on to more of a hardcore technology topic. Or we yeah, sure. About. Let's go through Google News. Uh, lots of interesting things going on there. Uh, this is a, an article that updates. We've talked about this several times uh, as it's evolved. But uh, Google was supposed to be um, uh, 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 moving to a new way of of uh, how the, the browser interacts with the Internet. And one of the ways to do that um uh, uh, they were going to uh, depreciate something called Manifest V2. And that standard that they utilize essentially allows third-party uh, uh, extensions to be able to block critical elements of um, a website like in an ad. And so if you use ad block or other ad blocking-like technologies, that's how that works, is that it has to stand in the middle and sort some things out of what it ultimately sends to you. And Google was going to move on to uh, something new um, uh, uh, that would be uh, Manifest V3, but it would utilize a different set of technologies that effectively blocked a lot of those uh, extensions uh, from doing what they were supposed to do. And they've advertised as being more secure and a better web and that sort of thing. But privacy advocates and also uh, a lot of techies were annoyed with, with the decision to go in that direction. Uh, and have have uh, talked very openly about that. Well, Google has delayed that depreciation a couple of times now, and now it's uh, um, being delayed again, and it's sometime later in 2023, or perhaps not even in 2023 at all. So I guess there's been at least a, a temporary reprieve from the tools that do the, the ad blocking that I know a lot of folks end up taking advantage of. On that note, the Arc browser, which I'm using for tonight's show, and I'm actually using it using it on two screens here, uh, has a built-in ad blocker. But interestingly, looking at this 9 to 5 Google article, I'm seeing this ad for YouTube TV over here. So I just flip back to Chrome where I've got uBlock Origin running and <clears throat> no, no ad there. So interesting 
you know, even when we say ad blocker, you know, what, what does that mean is being blocked? And, uh, it, it was a seismic proposal in terms of changing some really big things that were going to impact the whole data economy in a huge way. And Jason, we mentioned in that November 9th or whatever show, maybe as a, as a, uh, experiment that we could, buy our own data on the, yeah. like on the dark web. Yeah. Let's do that in 2023. Like, I yeah. think that yeah. would, in fact, you know what? We could do that. We could write an article. I probably should like write some articles that get published. I don't okay. Know yeah. That, let's, uh, that, 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 could, yeah, that would be fun. I think um, it could be scary too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It could be. Um, and if you know, by the way, if I stop, if I stop talking about this, please know that my data didn't go so hot. So as, after I opened it, but uh, yeah, let's see if we can pull that off because I think that's an interesting piece. And if we can buy our own individual da- uh, uh, data, scary, right? That's I, I bet we're going to be shocked. I bet yeah. we're going to be shocked. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't, yeah. It'll be interesting to know though if it's possible to do that, to go in granularly, or if it's more like, I want to see all the, you know, iPhone users in this metropolitan area or something. Okay. Uh, what else we got with the Googles? Uh, uh, this was an interesting article from uh, 9.5Google on December 8th. There is a new version of Chrome OS out, and, and that's also true of Chrome, the web browser as well. Um, but uh, they offer a new set of features uh, in Chrome 108 that I think are both super interesting. There's a new uh, mode uh, on on both the browser and the operating system for memory save, saver and also energy saver. And the, I mean, there's nothing revolutionary about what these do. Uh, the memory saver, when turned on, will start to depreciate tabs in the background so it isn't updating tabs anymore um, or keeping that information uh, ready in memory. You have to refresh the page to get it back. That's something that tab suspenders, in fact, there was a, a, a great Chrome extension called the Great Suspender that did exactly that. And for those of you that are Chrome, uh, or I'm sorry, that are tab addicts, and you know who you are out there, you know, that can sometimes really drag down performance on a browser. So I think it's really smart to uh, pull that into the browser, um, uh, the browser uh, core functionality and also the operating system functionality. Um, and then the same is true. There's now a battery saver mode that at 20 percent. Uh, will start to to uh, scale down the operating system function and speed, but give you longer battery life. And obviously, phones have had this forever, so this is not new. But to have this as a function, um, uh, particularly on Chrome, uh, the Chrome OS is really great. And then YouTube is going to start showing how long it takes a video to process after uploading. Um, that is that is helpful. Um, have yeah. you tried, by the way, any of those um, those video uh, creation tools that we talked about on the show a few weeks ago? Not, not, uh, uh, not directly, but I saw you posted the, um, the app this afternoon on Twitter and I can't remember the the name of it, but I went to purchase that app today. So I'm going to play around with it a little bit in part because I mean, I I just think about if our minds are blown by the photos and and our minds are blown by the, the text generation, I can't imagine what, what video brings, um, uh, to that party. Yeah, that app is called Luma Fusion. And uh, again, hey, folks, look, even if we've been here live on the show, sometimes it's good to go back and listen to the old shows. Um, so yeah, this is, is it, this is a different company, I guess, that, than yeah. the one that did the the AI uh, avatars right. and stuff like that, yeah. but it's a $30 app. So yeah, that's- well, it does, it does. The, the effects on there are really interesting. And um, I think uh, I'm looking forward to playing with them. Yeah. And as somebody interested in uh, digital video um, and story chasing, I'm definitely, I'll be curious on that report. So we'll look forward to that hopefully after the new year. And then one last, uh, this is from Chrome Unbroused. Uh, Google Sheets uh, is offering a new um, a smart canvas feature. Smart canvases are the features in uh, workspace tools that create a uh, kind of a functional uh, or functionality inside of docs or sheets. Uh, the example that I keep using is that um, I like to, especially for very important emails, I like to draft those emails in a Google Doc as opposed to uh, the browser because I can slow roll the email. I can go back to it over and over again. I can share it. Well, you can add in, I think they're called smart chips as part of the a smart canvas feature um, to where uh, you can turn that into an email. 
um, or create an email-like interface and then just press a button and it will suck it into Gmail. This one in Google Sheets is um, uh, 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 project tracking. So you, it adds in functionality to where you can easily uh, create different categories of where you're at in a project. And I saw, thought this was really interesting in context of schools. Um, I've worked with a couple of teachers that did a lot of work one-on-one uh, -on -one work with students uh, that are in a more flexible classroom environment, and they used project tracking software in some cases as kind of a master way of planning that together so they could keep track of all the elements of a project over time. Well, that's now built directly into Sheets. There's a professor in Maine that I have been acquainted with in the past who was doing a lot of project-based learning work with schools, and I don't remember the name of the tool that they were using, but it was something like this. And I think if this would, well, if it is, it's, it's integrated here. It seems like into uh, the Google tools. I think the whole concept and actual skill of project management is an essential thing yeah. for all of us to think about personally in our lives, doing that collaboratively with groups. Like I think, you know, just like with financial literacy and, and things, there's just stuff that we don't necessarily do in school that we need to be doing. And so project management, um, Anyway, I've been I've been searching for checklists and things. We've uh, we did our big conspiracies and culture wars project again. This was the, I guess, seventh term that I've done that with students, and so I'm excited to check this out because this looks this looks fantastic on a variety of fronts. But definitely, you know, it, I'm thinking about it in terms of longer projects I'm doing with students and and helping keep track of where they are and helping them um, make make their progress visible and all that kind of stuff. Cool. Okay, where should we do next? Well, actually, look at look at the time. We're at nearly the top of the hour here. Ugh, so uh, is there anything else we have to get in this week? Yeah, let's talk about Apple. So you put the article in from The Verge on December 13th. Apple is reportedly yes. preparing to allow third-party app stores on the iPhone. Um, I had found another article similar. Um, the one that I had read had said, this is a result, I think, of European legislation, and so GDPR stuff. And very, very interesting. And, you know, Apple has warned us about the dangers of sideloading, of, um, uh, you know, jailbreaking the phone, right? That, that's that been a sort of felony in the in the Apple world, if, if you would do that. And I do think that there are, are security dangers to this. Um, we, it's been a while since we've talked about all of these kinds of fights in terms of, of the App Store and Apple's 30% and all of that. In fact, where did that uh, – who – wasn't it Fortnite? Where, maybe we should do an update on that because yeah, where, uh, where did that lawsuit land and what happened with all that? Well, I think if I remember correctly, like Apple kind of won but sort of Fortnite and there was money but there's another part of the trial. Yeah, I don't remember that either off the top of my head. And, um, and I have to agree with you, Wes. I – I mean, I, I came from Android, uh, so I was, my smartphone life was Iowa, or was, uh, app or iPhone, then Android phones for a while, and back to iPhones. And I, I've been very happy on the iPhone, but that was a, a benefit of the Android architecture is that you could, uh, install other app stores. And so there was a great open source, uh, app store, um, that utilized free and open source software where you could download Download and install what's called APKs. The Android uh, Package Manager uh, is is what the files are called, and you could download some extremely sketchy, very risky app stores uh, that would allow you to install commercial versions of things. But uh, sometimes, as often as not, it would come with other unpleasantries, like something that was trying to mine Bitcoin with your phone. So that's that's kind of where. Um, I think uh, uh, things are complicated, but I, you know, since moving to Apple, I just find zero desire. I just, I like the vetting of the app store and I know it creates UGG for some developers, but I like the vetting of the app store. One thing that we uh, didn't mention tonight, but it's sort of on the radar and the possibilities for 2023 is, you know, Twitter could end up being blocked by Apple um, if they, for instance, are not able to adequately uh, you know, clean up the, the misinformation, the disinformation, uh, the, uh, you know, the horrific content that can emerge on a user generated platform. And so I think it's exceptionally interesting to follow all this because if you are able to have a third party app store, 
you know, then then that's going to significantly impede Apple's ability to be able to control their ecosystem. That could affect security, but it also has big implications for for freedom of speech and what people are are allowed to do. And it's kind of like the internet, right? It's interesting where with 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 the apps and with the phone, we have this ability to lock things down. And from a consumer standpoint, I think that's really helpful because you know, let's face it, it is good that it's harder to get malware and bad stuff on your iPhone than let's say it is on a, a Windows XP machine. <laughs> um, but if we have these alternative, you know, third-party app stores and things like that, that's going to, that's going to change those dynamics. So interesting. It'll be, you know, again, Europe may be leading us and we may see the United States follow suit, but Apple's preparing to make that possible. And if it's possible in Europe, then obviously they can happen here as well. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, well, it is past the top of the hour, and we've been going just just over an hour. So, shall we uh, share some geeks of the week? Uh, yeah, I just want to. This is a reminder one, and I know Wes uses software too, but XSplit VCam uh, it, it was something that I had used and enjoyed before the pandemic. But since the pandemic started, there were so many more people utilizing the software as part of their Zoom or Meet strategy um, that they've been developing it. Uh, very aggressively, and um, it's it's a really cool piece of software. But I noticed a new functionality that I've actually used a couple of times now, which is you can now do lower third graphics, which means a lower third is is your name, your title that you would put on the bottom. You've probably seen it on news shows before. Well, we've they, got it here, kind of. Uh, yeah, and we're using one right now for those watching the video, and you can't really see it here um, because of the way the video's on here, but I've been designing new lower thirds for myself to put on um, conference calls and... Oh. Um, uh, when I've been doing um, uh, virtual presentations and uh, it took me a little while to kind of figure out and play with it, but it's a cool piece of functionality. And I still think, and I think that, that the license right now is like $40. You can find coupons to make it less, but it's worth at least that because I think it's a really great piece of software. Huh. I was just trying to <laughs> edit your name to see if we could show it. You have to have something in, in, uh, in StreamYard, but uh Yeah. So I made your name a, a period. There you go. Look at that. There See, you can move an hour. So much fancier. Folks, yet again, Dr. Neifer has completely outclassed me and, and made me look like a digital hobo next to his <laughs> glory. So, all right. Um, my Geek of the Week is another Wakelet, but this is a Student Media Hall of Fame. I've wanted to do this for a while, and uh, I've actually had some kids say, no, I'd prefer you not include my video, which is fine. I'm all about give kids choices. But um, I've included some me uh, media projects. Um, the photosynthesis uh, stop motion is from uh, our daughter and her debate partner. Actually, I think they might have been sophomores, either sophomores or juniors in high school. It's the most amazing stop motion video uh, student project I've ever seen in my life. It just blows your mind. And if you thought you understand photosynthesis, you know, watch that. Um, but there's a couple uh, videos that were from our conspiracies and culture wars. Um, Scratch Maze Code Talks. And I did this with my robotics kids this year. It was so fun. In fact, with the iPad, and I don't know what this is called, Jason. When it's not, it's not split pane, but you like that would have their code up yeah. in the spike app. And then they would pull up the photos app and lay the video on top. And so we, they would play the video. And I don't have those. These are kids showing their mazes in Scratch <clears throat> and then talking about their projects. But uh, anyway, in terms of visible thinking and assessment, I think that's really cool to be able to have students showing their their code, showing the results of their code, and then talking about that in a reflection. And I'm going to be using that again. So anyway, that's kind of kind of cool. And if you don't have a student media hall of fame, that could be something cool to think about doing as a teacher. Not because you want to probably make every child make a project exactly like another child has. That's, that's not what I want to do. But it's it's really neat to see those capabilities and to see some really exemplary projects. And I did have some students like um, Mahi, who's there. She used Wii Video, and it's it's amazing. It's the best video about the SIFT web literacy framework and the moon moon hoax videos and all the stuff that we saw. It's just spectacular. So I find that kind of thing inspiring. So Dr. Neifer, when you're not here showing me up with your digital savvy, where else can people find you? Uh, well, I'm on, uh, well, I'm still on Twitter uh, at, at, 
at uh, Tech Savvy Teach, and I'm not sure if I'm leaving Twitter or not, but uh, you can also find me on Mastodon.cloud, where I'm known as at Knife, N-E-I-F. And Wes, I did ask uh, the uh, uh, pod, or I'm sorry, I did ask Canva to write a farewell and happy holidays to our listeners. So I want to wish you all a very happy holiday season and prosperous new year. May your days be filled with joy, love, and laughter. And may 2021 be a year of many blessings for you and your family. Cheers to good health and a bright future. Wow. Very good. You can find the digital hobo at westfriar.com slash after. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's been another show. We thank you for tuning in. Apologize for our very erratic schedule of late, but there have been some good reasons for that. And we're just thankful to be here. Um, As always, you can find our show on edtechsr.com. We invite you to follow us on Twitter at edtechsr. Follow us on Facebook because Facebook and Twitter are how we send updates when things happen with the show. But you can download small 32 kilobit audio versions of the show, as well as smaller video versions. Check us out on YouTube. Let us know if you listen to the show, if you find any of this of value and interest, and if you'd like us to dive deeper into any topics. We anticipate having another show. Uh, I think so. Are you going to, are you good for next Wednesday as far as you know? I am. Okay. I'll be coming to you from an undisclosed location in the Midwestern United States, uh, which I might disclose, but. Anyway, um, then we might end up taking a day off uh, or a week off for the holidays. But who knows? Jason and I kind of like hanging out together. So voila. So until next time, we encourage you to stay savvy, stay safe, and we hope to see you next time on the EdTech Situation Room. Night all.